would please open up your Bibles to First uh, Corinthians chapter one. First Corinthians chapter one, where we will pick back up where we left off last week. First Corinthians chapter one, and we'll be picking right back up here in verse ten. First Corinthians chapter one, verse 10. Now, as you know, in chapter one, we see it, the whole theme of chapter one is around being joined together in Christ. We're joined together in Christ. We're not joined together in the name of some church or around any one particular person but Jesus Christ. That's what joins us together. That's what knits us together. That's what allows us to be together. And, and all the diversity that of our lives represented here pulls us and brings us and knits us together in a oneness in serving our Lord Jesus Christ. We're all brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what joins us together is, is that. Not anything other than that. And then we know that we're being, we're, we were called to be holy, verses 1 through 9. And we talked about that in a couple of past Sundays. And how important, how wonderful it is of what God has called us as his children to be. Today we pick up on another part of this chapter. And it represents that, that we're being, being called to be joined together. To be joined together, and we're called to be that. God has called us to be joined together for His purpose and according to His plan. And if we're not joined together, if we're not keeping our eyes on Jesus and serving Him, and we put in other things, then it becomes disjointed or divisional. And there's conflicts that happen within a group or within a church or within an, uh, a, a family. Of within the family or within the church family when people do not keep their eyes on Jesus. So as we look at this, let's follow along here. And I'm going to read verses 10 through 17, and then we'll just kind of go right through verse by verse. Paul starts off here saying, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be, you be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Cleo's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Cleo, uh, Crispus and Gaius, lest anyone should say that I had baptized in my own name. Yes, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Besides, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. 
So Paul starts off here, and we're talking about, as we talked about leaving last week and the week before, that we're going to see over the next few chapters, starting here in verse 10, all, taking us all the way to chapter 4, verse 21, he's going to outline some of these problems that have been brought to his attention. Now, he's in Ephesus. These, the, the Cleos' household, this entourage, came across about 200 miles to find him, to highlight to him, hey, you, we need your guidance, we need your wisdom, we need to know how to address these issues that are going on within the church. And so Paul is now writing this letter back to the church in Corinth to, to let them know how to deal or to give instruction and to rebuke them in some of the things that are going on within that church. And so the very first problems that we see that Paul is going to write to, and the first problem is bringing the problem of division. That was their first problem in that, that church that he's going to highlight. And we see this in verses 10 through 17 today. And he's going to call them that you need to be joined together. You're not to be supposed to be divided. You're supposed to be joined together. The commonality of the fact that you both serve a Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, that is what's supposed to keep you together. Don't allow anything or anyone else to cause that division. And so he starts off by not writing a letter that says, you know, okay, I'll address these issues and problems. Let me start with number one, number two. He starts off by pleading with them. It wasn't a simple declaration. He's pleading. Can you see here's a man who started this church? He has invested his life into the lives of these people. He's led them to Christ. He's discipled these people. And he's, he's not going to just passively sit there, okay, it's your problem. Get over the problem over there, what's going on. I'm not there any longer. I'm not going to worry about you. You'll figure it. If not, you're going to suffer. It's not my problem. That is not the heart of God, and that was not the heart of Paul. Paul was weeping and crying, and you can see him in the letter. You can tell by just the fact that he's dictating this to, uh, to, so, uh, uh, to Sothenes. He said, hey, brethren, I plead with you. This should not be. I love you way too much for this division to, to, to hurt you and to hurt everyone around you because it never just affects you. You realize the division that you're causing never affects just you. It affects everyone around you. And so he's pleading with you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He brings them completely right back to the center. He didn't say, I plead you in, in my name. I didn't plead you because in, in the... Church name? I didn't plead with you historically because, oh, what is people going to think about uh, Corinth, uh, the Corinthian church? What are they going to No, he says, I plead with you, brother, in our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing. You should be united. You should not be saying and teaching and doing things, competing with each other. It should be focused on Lord Jesus Christ. Paul was the apostle of Jesus Christ. He had the authority to write these things. He had the ability to communicate and understand what the heart of God is in regards to this, and that is the oneness to be joined together in serving the Lord. He had the right. He had that authority. He had the command to the Corinthian Christians there in these matters. But he did it in such a loving way. He had this loving heart and he begs them, he pleads to them to be united, unified as believers. He said, be joined together. 
He didn't say, I, he, he, he's, you know, and I'll say this lovingly as well. He, he didn't sit there and say, well, let me take your feelings into consideration for these opportunities. Let me make sure I choose my words so carefully that I show empathy or, or do. No, no. He's saying, I plead with you. Regardless of how you're feeling, regardless of what you're thinking, how angry you are, I beg you to be joined together. Be, be speaking the same thing here. See, the contrast to divisions is to be perfectly joined together. He said, that's what it means. Don't be divisional in the, in the body. Be joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment, he says here in this verse. Don't be torn apart. Don't be going different directions trying to live in the same household and have two different and three different directions. It doesn't, happen, it doesn't work in a household when you have a husband and wife going different directions and thinking differently and doing want to do different things. There's conflict and division in the household. And that same model happens within the church when you have people who want to go different ways. They want to live in the house. They want to stay in the house of the, of, of the church, but they want to go different directions. That's going to cause divisions, and that is not to happen. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Be joined together. Jesus said in Luke eleven seventeen, every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation. And a house divided against a house, what? Falls. My brothers and sisters, if there's division in the household, keep your eyes on Jesus and bring you together in unity and like-mindedness and in, in, in doing the ministry that God's called you to do as a husband and wife and as parents. And the same thing here in the body of Christ. Let not be a division. Make we, or if there's going to be desolation, there'll be a, it will fall. The, 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 the church body will crumble. And that is exactly how Satan works. Satan's constantly bringing in confusion, constantly stirring up your one's flesh, trying to get you to, to, to go your own way and do it your way. And I did it my way. It's going to cause division. Are you tracking with me on that? That's as far as I'll go on that one. <laughs> but you're tracking with me. Satan wants to divide. He orchestrates and he can get those who are weak in the flesh, or weak, the flesh is dominating, but weak in the spirit to bring up things to get their own way and do their own. They want it their way. And what happens is it causes and starts with the most, the most simplest of things, the most minute things. It's, it starts with this, this annoying things like the, the temperature's not right. The, the coffee doesn't taste good. The, the, I don't like the color on the walls. And, and it goes, it just starts with it. And then all of a sudden it turns into a critical spirit. And then, then there's envy. And then there's, there's jealousy. And, then there, and it just is a spiral thing that happens within people. And all that does is it causes a wedge. And then it causes division. And Paul is saying to the Corinthians church, keep your eyes on Jesus. And those, 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 those petty things will, will dissipate. Those things will, you can overlook. Don't let, keep your eyes on Jesus. Yes, your husband will come around. 
Yes, your wife will come around. Yes, your children will come around because you're, you're fervently praying for them that they would walk with Jesus. And there's always unity. They're always going to be, a, be joined together when everyone is like-minded. And here we see in this, this first verse, Paul kind of breaks it out to three things that will help people be joined together. First one is the, the solution to the problem of division within the body. What's the solution? He says very clearly, it's Jesus. Jesus is the solution. That's why we keep our minds on, on, the, on the Lord Jesus Christ. So he says the solution starts with the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's power in the name of Jesus Christ. Such power, such authority, such might. And when you put your focus on the Lord Jesus Christ, then he dominates, he leads, he is the final say in everything and anything we do. There's no other name that goes above his name. So what's in his name? There's power, there's authority, there's might. Acts 4.12 nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. There is no other name that's going to save you but the Lord Jesus Christ. We see in Philippians 2.9, God also has highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name. There is no other name. That's why we focus on his name. The only way to bring unity and keep out division in the body of Christ is through the power and the authority of the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. There is no other way. So why do we need the power and the authority of the name of Jesus Christ? Well, he, he highlights here and he says the first thing he says is it enables us to speak the same thing. What is that same thing? Is that we're all united around our, our favorite football team? Is, and then we're all talking about the same team and we're rooting for the same team? No, that's not it. Is it around, we're all speaking the same thing of the colors that we're looking at on the walls or the seats that we have? No, no. The, 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 the focus, the, the, the thing that we need to speak to and be in agreement with is that we need to be in agreement in what we talk about, of course, is not on the things of, that's going around, but it's on the essentials of the historical Christian faith, the gospel of Jesus Christ. That we cannot be divided on. We must be in, the, in sync with that on the essentials, not the non-essentials. We're not going to agree many times on the non-essentials of the Christian faith. You may have a, uh, you know, there's a pre and a mid and a post-tribulation -trib and, and the rapture. You, we might differ in that. That's not an essential. That's a non-essential. Something around the signs. We may not totally agree on the signs, but that's a non-essential, not the essential. You may not agree with the baptism of fully emerged versus sprinkle and if that ma makes a difference. But you must agree on the essential, maybe not the non-essentials. But regardless, the essentials are this. And we sang and we worship this clearly today. And that is on the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And our faith in getting to heaven is based on his resurrection. 
These are the essentials. They're not debatable. And they must be, we must be joined together as a body of believers to keep from that division. And if, if someone says there is another way to heaven, that is a very divisional conversation. We're not like-minded. We can't talk about the same things then if you think there's another way. Because there's only one way. And the second thing Paul mentions here is that have no divisions among you. You see, there should be no divisions among you. The Greek word there for divisions is schismata, or we get our word schism. We see it eight times in the New Testament. And it's a, this word we get here meaning to tear or to split or to render, to cause division within. And that happens when, when people are willing to hold on to things and put them above our commonality of our Lord Jesus Christ. And Paul here pleads that they stop ripping each other apart and tearing up the body of Christ because it's going to affect other people. We even read this back in Romans 16 when we studied Romans 16 verse 17. Paul dealt with this very clearly in Romans as well. He says, now I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses. Note them. Contrary to the doctrine which you've learned and avoid them. He had a very simple solution. People are not causing division on the essentials. Note them. Just avoid them. We are to stay clear of those who cause divisions and offenses. We are not to convince them. We're not to try to argue with them. We're not to try to engage with them. Just note them and avoid them. Stay clear of them. We must trust in the power of Jesus Christ, Paul says here. To avoid divisions in the body, you must trust and keep your eyes on Jesus. To keep that from happening. We see very, something very clearly. If you want to flip over here to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Just flip over one there page. Verses 1 through 30. Very, very important verses here. Paul's response in dealing with the people here that were causing divisions. And he says, I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk. And not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still cardinal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, you are not carnal, you are not carnal and behaving like mere men. So he's basically said, I've been pouring into your life. I've known you. I keep pouring in. I've kept it very simple. I've kept it down to a, a very simplistic, a, a childlike faith here approach. And I've been feeding into you and feeding into you and feeding into you. But you still cannot receive. You're still not growing and maturing. And so you're still in the flesh. You're still going by what you want. You're just acting like mere men. And that's causing division. Those who are argumentative, those who try to convince you and push and push and push you to think the way they think and what they want to do 
and the way they feel. And they try to prove their right and your wrong. Those are very clear indication and flags popping that that is what we're talking about that Paul is speaking to today in the scriptures. They come across very spiritual. They come across more spiritual in tune with the things of God than you are. And they'll even tell you that. How they know more. They're smarter and that anything you're doing is wrong. And of course, they're doing it out of love to try to straighten you out. But those who bring divisiveness, we see here in 1 Corinthians 3, Paul is clear. He says, they're not more spiritual. They're actually less spiritual. He calls them babes. He calls them whiners. He calls them immature, cardinal, in the flesh. Now, we're not speaking to them about their salvation here. He didn't question their salvation. He's not questioning that they're they're enemy against God. He's not questioning that at all. But that they live in the flesh and they're cardinal, and because they live in the flesh and they're cardinal, they're causing division in in the body. Their spiritual pride is what is causing the division in the monks in, in the body. And so we must be ca- very careful of our spiritual pride. Because sometimes we can get so ingrained into the word and know so much of the word, we can become very spiritual prideful like we already have arrived or already know it all and everyone else doesn't line up with my thinking. You have to be wrong and you need to change. But we're all messed up sinners. Yes, saved by grace, but we're still messed up that and still God is doing a work in our lives. And we must have grace for one another and we must keep our eyes on Jesus to be able to have the power and the authority to overcome these things that other people are still growing because everyone here is at their different stages of their maturity in their walk with Jesus Christ. So we have to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to be able to overcome these things that people say and do that They're just not there yet. They're still growing. They're still babes. And that's why the grace of God is so important. And we must have that humility to recognize that we need to keep our eyes on Jesus. Because if we don't, if we don't have that humility, then, then that's when division will happen and we won't be joined together. Now, he gives us another key point for us here, that we're supposed to be perfectly joined together. A third key point in here in this verse, he says, in, this, in, in the Greek grammar, it's, it's a single word for perfectly joined together. It means it, it speaks of a broken bone that needs to be set. It's, it needs to be grafted back together, mended perfectly, joined together like it had never been broken. You take an x-ray, you see it, you look at it, you go, wow, that is just absolutely shattered. And, and, but he's saying, if you keep your eyes on Jesus, it can be mended, it can be healed. And when you re-x-ray it, you can look at it and say, wow, I don't see any break whatsoever that took place. It's miraculous of how the healing has taken place when they're perfectly joined together like-minded. That's one of the two, two things he highlights here at the end of this verse 10 is it's two things, an internal view and an external or outward view. He says the internally, he says, have the same mind in what we think, 
what we believe. The gospel of message of Jesus Christ must be focused on that essentials. I'll give you a Philippians 1.27. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast, stand firm, same solid, on one, in the one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. You're focused on spreading the gospel and focused on the gospel. That brings that unity. Even Philippians 2 verse 1 says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy. And then verse 5 there says, let this mind be in you which is also in Christ Jesus. That is the mindset that we all need to have to have that unity and that joy, that oneness. Philippians 3.15 says, therefore let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if any, in any if if in anything you think otherwise, meaning if you have a different mindset, God will reveal even this to you. See, we're supposed to not have a different mindset. We're supposed to be like-minded and focused upon Christ. That's an internally having the same mind. That's what Paul's saying. You want to be joined together. This is this is the solution to the problem you're having. Be. The same mind. Be like-minded. You're able to then walk together in serving God. The second thing he mentions here at the very end, he says externally having the same judgment. What does that mean? We're not talking about judgment. We're talking judgment here, and this word is decisions we make pertaining to the decisions we make as the church. So as the church, you have to have the same judgment, which means speaks to the goals and the objectives in the body of Christ. That's what it's speaking to here. See, there's a lot of churches out there. Not only in this community, but all over. There's lots and lots of churches out there doing different things, doing good things, doing great things. Some ministries focus on the music. Some ministries focus on homelessness. Some ministries focus on programs. Some ministries focus on traditions. Here at Calvary Chapel, we focus as a teaching ministry. Our focus is to teach the Word of God verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, so you get the whole counsel of God. And then we want that to also be taught out into the community. We want to get the Word of God out. That is our ministry. That is our focus. Now, with other churches, it's okay that they have a different focus. That's what God's called them to do. That's what that's the personality, that's the that's their goals, that's their objectives that the church has set at those churches. Ours is could be very different. And it's okay. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 verses 4 through 6, you can make and highlight that today. There are diversity of gifts, but the same spirit. There are differences of ministries, but the same Lord. And there are diversities of activities, but it is the same God who works all in all. Amen? There's diversities. It's all good. Our brothers and sisters, they're just, they're like-minded with the different churches. Those who are wanting to be focused on the Word of God and getting the Word of God out and to, to be transformed by, in the renewing of your mind by the Word of God, that is what we're here and purpose that God has called us to be here. 
And so if we, people come, we always tell people, come, sit, sit here for the next two to three months. See if this is where the Lord has called you to be. If you're like-minded with us, you're focused on Jesus, you're focused on the, the, the ministry, the character, the, the style of, this, of, of a casual, then you're like-minded. Hey, we're going to serve together and serve our Lord together. This is going to be great. But if we have a different mind or a different judgment in this body, it's going to cause division. And your job is not to come in or I to come in to cause division, to go against what the church's direction is going based on those goals, based on those objectives of the body of Christ. Your, your job is not to try to come and change the group you're associated with. You go and find another group that you're like-minded with. And when you go and you find that place, you're going to be in that church with our brothers and sisters, wherever that be. You'll be like-minded. Praise the Lord. God is going to use you in a great and mighty way. That's very simple. That's what Paul is saying here. You have to have the same judgment. You've got to be focused on the same goals and objectives within the body that God has planted you to be. And if others have a different focus, that is fine. Just don't be divisive over. Now, so we've seen the solutions of the problem he talks about here in verse 10. Now we're going to see he talks about the reason for the problem. Why does this all happen? It doesn't just, just happen. Paul clearly communicates to the Corinthian church why this division happens, and that's because of the people. Because people were following people and not following Jesus Christ. And when I say, and what he says here about people, he's referring to you're following yourself. I want what I want, what I want to do, where I want to do it. Or I'm going to follow this person and go with them and follow them. And not keeping their focus on Jesus Christ. And so here in verse 11 through 30, he says, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Cleos' household, that there are contentions among you. And so we see in just in this verse, this verse 11, that Cleos is, you know, was this woman who was probably a believer, of course, and that he had, she had these uh, representatives in her household who were probably traveling back and forth between Ephesus and, and Corinth. And, and Paul was writing this letter to give to them back, to, to take back with them to address these problems as they came and visited him there. And so what Cleo household or what Cleo did was a good thing here. It was good that they saw and recognized there was a problem within the church. They found some people and said, we need help. We need to go to, and to the leadership we need. Go find Paul. He's in Ephesus. Take these. Can you take him there and get him help uh, to help us here at this church? And so they take note that they did a great thing by coming and finding Paul to help them address this. They didn't sit back and sit on the issues and the problems that they were dealing with. They weren't letting it stew inside them. They weren't willing to let those problems that they were dealing with to spread to other people. But the problem was, was brought to the leadership of the church and they brought it to Paul who started the church. And that's a good lesson for all of us. Whenever you see a problem or you perceive there is a problem in the body of the, of the church. 
You don't stew on it. You don't get angry about it. You don't, you don't even spread it. You come to the leadership. You co- yeah, go see Pastor Rich. <laughs> Tell him all the problems. He'll, he'll be happy to deal with it. If you have any good praiseworthy things, oh, happy to come, come see me. No, I'm just joking. You can see Pastor Richard, see me. If you have things, don't stew on them. Just bring them to the leadership of the church. That is what God has put the leadership in place for. They're the ones God has put in point to, to the direction, the goals, the objectives of the body. So bring them to Pastor Rich and, and, uh, and let him know where your concerns are. But seriously, take them to Pastor Rich. No. <laughs> uh, it's so simple, and it's so, it's so solid in the scripture. And you know this. If you ever have a challenge within the body with another person, and you cannot reconcile it, it's certainly come to leadership. Let us help you. If you have a problem with the actual church itself, come to the leadership. We want to help you because there's probably a good, reasonable, logical explanation of why certain things do the way we do those. And if it's something that we're not aware that's going on, we want to hear about it because we want to be aware of those things, have a discussion, and take those concerns into consideration and seek the Lord on the directions of those things. But keeping it hidden like a cancer inside, if you know there's a cancer, you don't sit there and not deal with it. You must take it to the authority who has the ability to go in and take out the cancer. You know, are you with me? It's very simple when you really think about it, but not always easy. But it is when you're focused on the Lord Jesus Christ and he gives you the power and authority to be able to take that step. And so he says in verse 12, now I say this, that each of you says, and so he's going to highlight to him. Some of you here, I'm hearing that you say, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Hesiphus, or I am of Christ. See, contentions among people in the church suffer through this quarreling and, and conflict and division because what happens is they get this mindset that goes opposite of what the direction is and they create these parties or these cliques within the church. They start separating themselves in the body. It should not be. There should not be cliques. There should not be these parties of people following other people because they're more like mine. Because I assure you, if you have something conflicting or different than what's the direction of the, of the body, you're going to find them. You're going to be able to walk and talk long enough to find someone maybe you can convince or to sway or to find someone who is like-minded. Oh, it's, a, it's, it's not hard. It's, it, 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 you see the kids on a playground. Go back to high school and you can play it out in your mind how the clicks. I used to be one of those clicks in the sports. You only hung around people who do sports. You don't hang around people who did theater. <laughs> I was in theater too. <laughs> so I was very weird. I was in sports and theater and music. I, you know, I couldn't find my spot, I guess. It was probably a good thing because I really enjoyed all of those. I love the fact that it was an entire experience, not just isolated of what my only my wants are or needs. 
But he, he highlights here, I'm appalled that, you see, these four different people that we see here have four different mindsets. That's really what it is, right? You have four different mindsets. You're having people following a mindset of a Paul or of Apollos or a Cephas or a Christ, of Christ. It says, the Paul party was declaring we are following the footsteps of a man who founded our church, the Apostle Paul. We're, we're the ones that are the more, the more right one with God because we're focusing on what Paul said and did. I'm an Apollos. I'm the Apollos party. I'm the clique over here. We declare we are following in the footsteps of a man with a great, who is a great in power and spiritual gifts and an intellectual impressive man. We're the ones right with God. And we go, you can go back there to Acts chapter 18, verse 24 and 25 to see that. Apollos. And then there are some here. I am of Cephas or Peter. I'm the Peter party who declares we are following the footsteps of a man who is first among all the apostles. Jesus gave him the keys to the kingdom of heaven. He's our man. He, we're the ones with really walking with God in a, in a certain right way. Remember, Jesus called Cephas Peter rock. He was the big fisherman. He was the working class man from Galilee. I like the guy who's like me. I'm a working class guy. That's who I want to really listen to and follow. Those cause divisions. Then there's I am of Christ. The Jesus party. Who declared you all are so cardinal because you follow anybody else but Jesus. You're just following mere men. We're, we're following the footsteps of the one, no one less than Jesus himself. We're the ones really right with God. But it's interesting that party is probably the one that was causing probably some of the biggest divisions in the church. Perhaps it was this group, this last group, this Jesus party that was the most proud, the spiritual pride, because their mentality, their mindset would be that of like, and I'll keep it in terms here in the North Country, like a private in the U.S. Army. You find this private, you come across this private, and you ask him, what division, what company do you belong to? And his response is, I'm not into companies or divisions. Are you kidding? I'm a freelancer. I fight where I want to fight. I come and go as I please. I'm a soldier, but I'm not one of this army structure of command or this army leadership. I don't need to follow that leadership. I want my own style of leadership. I want my own command. I do my own thing. It's too restrictive to follow the leadership of my command or my company. I'm going to go find another command, another, com another platoon leadership that's more like-minded if they let me. I am called to do what I think is best, and I only answer to my commander-in-chief, the president of the United States. That's who I lead, not this local leadership. See, these are those who say, I am not responsible 
I'm not accountable. I don't want to be linked to any elder, senior pastor, or any group. of. I want to do what I want to do. I only follow Jesus Christ, my commander-in-chief, and no local structure in the body of Christ is going to tell me how I live my life for Christ. It's a mentality that is permeable and can affect the body of Christ. See, the Corinthians were boasting for their party leaders was really boasting for what they want. They were really boasting about themselves and how they can get what they want to get and do what they want to do their way. They were following a person or they were following a mindset that, that they could see that they would like to do. And if it conflicted with someone else, and it wasn't focused on God, you know, it causes divisions. Now, don't get me wrong. We all have our favorite teachers. If you've been on the radio, 96.9 MFM, we have a series of teachers. And I've heard from you, of, oh, I love this guy. This guy's, oh, I love this teaching style. And, oh, I love this. And I love. And you have some authors. Some people say, oh, I love this author. And, I, and you buy all their books because they're just... They just seem to minister to you. And, and that's fine. They, as long as they're teaching rightly and their books are not diverting from the scriptures, you know, that's great. You have your favorite teachers and your favorite authors. But we must not follow that man or that woman. We must follow Jesus Christ himself because it will cause division if you do it anyway. And I'll give you a simple example. There's some books that will come out and they'll hit the top of the charts. And you'll go back in, in lots of theologians and others will study those books that this author wrote and it's completely contrary to the word of God. But what happens is you, there's some reason you just like their style or you like certain things that just spoke to your flesh and you will sit there and permeate that and, and spread that to your brothers and sisters. And trust me, if I hear of a, of, of a book that is just con contrary to the word of God, I will assure you as a shepherd, I will come and, 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 and let you know that book is not healthy. It goes contrary to the word of God. And you may not like that. Matter of fact, you'll actually, people get very stiff-necked when I come to you. That's what I send Pastor Rich to. Because <laughs> I want to warn you, if it goes against what the Lord teaches, what the scripture teaches, of course we're going to warn you. Because you may not be aware that that book or that author is teaching not correctly. Because division is ungodly. It's not wrong to make distinctions between churches and ministries. That's why God has made many churches and different ministries for different callings and characters and their characteristic. If you've ever been to another Calvary Chapel, you'll find that this Calvary Chapel is not the same as another Calvary Chapel. It's because of the personality of the, of the leadership. But the, the one thing that should be consistent is that we're all teaching at all the Calvaries, verse by verse, book by book, and that we're focused on the word of God and getting the word of God out. That should be a commonality for all Calvary chapels. And because the job of the, is, is the preaching of the gospel is too big for any one group, that's why he creates these different churches and groups out there to help minister to the all people. So we've seen the solutions to the problem. We've seen the reasons for the problem. And lastly, we see the conclusion of the problem. And he gives us two main points here. 
The first main point at the end here of the verses here of 13 and on is the pointing other people to Jesus Christ. That's the conclusion. That's the solution of the solving of that problem. And Paul is very grateful that he has this opportunity to be in the lives of these people. But he also is very thankful, as we see here, he highlights to him something. He keeps it really simple. He says, is Christ divided? No, of course not. Was Paul crucified for you? Absolutely not. Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? No way. Even Paul is thankful that, and grateful the fact that he did not baptize only a few people. We see that he, he certainly had the, the, the blessing to, be, to have baptized. But he starts off by saying, is Christ divided here? Jesus doesn't, does not belong to any one party. These cliques ignored the, true, uh, the truth of unity and, and, the, and the fact that there's diversity and that everyone has, comes together as oneness and, and be joined together because they're focused on serving their Lord Jesus Christ. But he also recognized that people in the name of Jesus was actually not doing the things of God. They were actually doing the things for themselves or for this other for this other man and following that mindset and which was actually causing this tear, this division, this split. And then one of the things he's saying here is, is Christ divided? He's basically saying, when the body of Christ is divided, who bleeds? Jesus is the one that bleeds. Spiritual elitism is abhorrent to God. No matter whose name is, is being used to justify. Oh, there was this one saying I, I remember uh, someone taught or I read somewhere. It was interesting. It says there was this, this, this Quaker. And this Quaker who, who went from church to church and church, and he could never find the true church in their eyes. He just couldn't find it. And finally, one day, someone said to him on the streets, Well, what church are you going to now? And he says, I am finally in the true church at last. Oh, finally. And the guy says, well, how many belong to that church? And he says, just my wife and I, and I'm certain, I'm questioning my wife still today. But that's the mentality of this spiritual elitism that they seem to have all the answers. And they don't, I assure you. Even more foolish than dividing Jesus into these certain parties in the church around men. Paul was Paul crucified for you? Was he? Did he? Did, were you baptized in the name of Paul? Of course not. And even though Paul did baptize Crispus and Gaius, he says, "Let anyone, lest anyone should say that I baptize in my own name. Yes, I also baptize in the household of Stephanus, because I do not know whether I baptize any other." For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom of words, lest the cross of Christ should be made of no effect. He says, yes, I've baptized people. But that's not what God called me to do. He called me to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Yes, there is baptism, and I had the 
blessings and the ability to do that. But I didn't, that wasn't my purpose. You guys are sitting there going, oh, I was baptized by Paul. That's, I'm more spiritual than anybody else. Oh, I was baptized in the Jordan River. Somehow that makes you more spiritual than anybody else. That is not true. You and I are baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, apparently, some of these Corinthian uh, Christians, probably the Paul party, made a big deal of the fact that they had been baptized by Paul. And because it was becoming a divisive issue, Paul was so grateful that he, he, he didn't baptize. He couldn't even remember who he baptized. It wasn't that, that critical. I bet you could remember everyone he led to Christ, but he couldn't remember who he baptized or not. Because it was important that people came to Christ. And it was not so much the baptized, being baptized itself. Even John 4, 2, Jesus did not baptize anyone. He had his disciples do all the baptism. Because it's all about the heart behind it. Not who did it. Are we all to be water baptized? Yes. Acts 2.38 says it is a commandment. Once you give your life to Christ, once you've given by, uh, your, you've been regenerated, you've been born again, the natural response of being changed inwardly is to then express it outwardly when given the opportunity to be baptized so that people around can see what has, been has already taken place in the heart, in the heart of you. We are to be baptized when we come to faith in Christ because it's an outward manifestation in the inward transformation. It's an outward show of an inward faith that has already taken place. Colossians 2.12 says it talks about the identification with Christ. He says, we are buried with him in baptism, in baptism in which you also were raised from him through the faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. It's an identification of who, who is your master, who is your Lord now. Christ was buried. He was dead in the grave. We too are to be submerged into the water. Christ was resurrected from the grave. We too come out of the water. A picture-perfect, loving identification with our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I always find it interesting. Those who profess to be a Christian, those who say they're born again. Yes, they say that they live by faith in Christ Jesus. He paid it all. They believe, they believe in the burial and death and burial resurrection. That's what they base their, their faith on. But when you ask them, how long have you been a Christian? Years. And then somewhere in their, their story, their, their testimony, they've never been baptized. They've had lots and lots of opportunities to be baptized, but they choose not to want to be baptized. But it's a commandment. I find that interesting to me. Now, I understand that the thief on the cross could not be baptized. <laughs> so baptism is not a requirement to be saved. Are you tracking with me? But it is an opportunity to, to profess outwardly what God has done inwardly in you. And if you've never been baptized, 
or maybe you've been you've rededicated your life to Christ and you want to be baptized well yes annually we have an opportunity to go to when it's warmer we go to Lake Ontario but if any of you have a big enough hot tub in the backyard I am game to have baptism in your backyard you want to invest in a nice little cover over on your pool and heat the pool I'm there with you I have there are people who want to be baptized I assure you, if you came and asked me, I want to be baptized, I will find a place for us to, and with brothers and sisters to go, even if we have to rent the pool at the Ramada. No, that's outdoors. We did that already. We'll go to the upscale to whatever hotel around here that does have a heated pool. I'm with you. But with some of the things we need to take from here that Paul is emphasizing here that was causing, obviously, some division within the, in the body of Christ. Baptism is not essential to salvation. And if it were, if the teaching of baptismal regeneration were true, then Paul could never thank God that he baptized so few in Corinth. He, as an evangelist, is out there leading people to Christ. If you had to be baptized to be regenerated, and uh, then he would have never said, "Oh, I'm so glad I don't even know who I was, whoever I led to Christ." Yes, I know, but I didn't make sure they were baptized because regeneration, baptismal regeneration, is not true. And he would never, Paul would never have been able to say, Christ did not send me to be baptized. He would have said, Christ would have sent me to preach the gospel and to baptize. He didn't say that. Because baptism, he didn't, Paul didn't regard baptism as an essential to salvation. And it is also seen by the fact that he did not keep track of those baptisms because he says, I do not know whether I baptize any other. And then the last part of 17b, the last part of verse 17 says, we see the preaching of the gospel is critical. The conclusion of the matter of divisiveness is simply to point others to Jesus and the preaching of the gospel. We are to say focus and recognize, yes, there's non-essentials, and we can talk about those, and we can certainly spend time in the word of God about those, but they should not be divisive. That's no gouda for us to be divisive of those. But when it comes to the preaching of the gospel and the fact that Paul is emphasizing that his calling and his purpose for us is to go out and to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, when someone comes against you and tells you you don't need to preach the gospel, you don't have to go and get the word of God out, then there's something not right there. Take note of that person. We need to keep the main things, the main things, which is Jesus Christ. And don't forget the preaching of the gospel of Jesus Christ and him crucified is a main thing. Are you with me? Don't get straight and take off on tangents because of the latest trends in the churches that you're Googling. Because if your expectation in this body is that we're going to take on to some trends other than preaching the gospel and, and reaching people with Jesus Christ, you're not going to find that from the, the, this church. 
We're going to stay focused on preaching the gospel to this community. That is what God's called us here to do. And to encourage our brothers and sisters in the faith through the word of God. Because Paul says, I didn't come here to preach the word with wisdom of words, cleverness of speaking, eloquence with my superior intellect. He says, because I know and I recognize because if I think I'm going to do it in my flesh and do it a certain way, then I can have and cause of no effect of the cross of Christ to take effect in this community. He says, lest the cross of Christ should be of no effect. He says, if I do it my way, I know it will have no effect on this community. It will have no effect of the people that I'm reaching. But if I will just stay focused on the, the main thing of Jesus Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except by what? you see that's the main thing people and when we keep it that way all these other things we can have some coffee and tea and talk it through not a problem why because we're all so like-minded and we'll be joined together reaching and doing what God has called us to do for the kingdom